Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. This episode welcomes G-Money, the collector of JPEGs, occasional disruptor, and all-around NFT advocate. In this episode, we explore how he created Web3's hottest club using a free mint, the future of Web3 fashion, building a brand, pseudonymous identity, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. G-Money, welcome to Mint. Thank you for being on. What's going on? Adam, how are you? How's everything? feeling good man living the dream more importantly how are you doing what a crazy last few days what's going on in your head um you know it's been it's been a whirlwind right like it's been uh, a a range of emotions uh and you know overall net positive it's it's been very humbling right like it's i'm super grateful for it uh definitely was way better than i even imagined it would go i really Mm -hmm had no real expectations. I, I wanted to, you know, it was very unhyped. It was like a stealth drop. And uh, that was one of the things I wanted to make sure uh, I did uh, because I wanted to optimize for distribution and I wanted to optimize for for no gas wars. And I think we did a really good job with both. So I'm, I'm really happy with how the community's forming. I think you just gave out so much context into future questions I'm about to ask you. But before we even go into that, okay, I'm always curious how people kind of introduce themselves, but specifically you, because a lot of people already know who you are. How do you introduce yourself to someone who has no familiarity with Web3? Um, so someone that has no familiarity with Web3, I think it really depends on the person. Sometimes I'll tell them I'm just a collector of JPEGs, uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes a disruptor. Uh, you know, just I, I think I'm an all-around NFT advocate, right? Because I just see the power of the technology and I understand how how useful it's going to be in the future and how we're, you know, literally, and we probably haven't, if this was a baseball game, we probably haven't even started the game yet. Or it might just be like the first pitch. Why, why are you so convinced of that? Um, I just think that like everything in the real world is an NFT, right? So my thesis is that if everything in the real world is an NFT and we're living more and more of our lives in a digital world, then those assets will be coming on chain as NFTs, right? There's there's no other way to convey uh, digital ownership, right? Like if you go out and you buy that T-shirt right now, you can do whatever you want with it, right? You can throw it away, you can give it to somebody, you can sell it, whatever it is that you want. Why don't you think that will translate over into a digital world, right? Into the metaverse, right? Like you, nobody necessarily wants to live in, you know, when you take a look at all these, uh, you know, futuristic movies and shows, the dystopian world is where there's like some central authority that controls what you can and can't do. Right. So it's like, why, just because I have, uh, that, uh, let's say, uh, authority over myself, uh, Mm -hmm. in the real world, why don't I think I should have it in the digital world? Right. So that to me just tells me that technology is super important, which is why I'm so convicted in, in how important it is. I think people like you and me and many others in Web3 have obviously, we've drank the Kool-Aid, we're in the rabbit hole. Um, but for for those who kind of don't know how you got your start into the space, what was like your genesis story? How did you get your jump into Web3? What did that look like? Yeah, so I, I got into crypto in 2017. Um, okay. I'd, I'd always been uh, involved in the stock market since I was 14 years old. I started following the stock market when I was 12. Uh, and so I was I was trading uh, my own money, uh, you know, equities, long, short U.S. equities. And in 2017, I had heard about Bitcoin uh, in previous years, but I never really looked into it. Uh, and then somebody told me that they were making a bunch of money trading Bitcoin. So I started looking into it. I found Ethereum and I found ICOs and I was like, oh, man, like this is 
you know, this is going to disrupt VC investing. And, you know, I went down that rabbit hole. And then in Q1 of 2018, I was like, this tech is incredible. Uh, it's going to change the world. But I thought it was too far away because I remember the dot-com bubble and, you know, the promises of the dot-com bubble took like 10 years to make, you know, the, the, you know, the, the internet that we know today didn't necessarily come about until 2010 which was like 10 years after. So I was like, all right, we're, you know, seven to 10 years away, maybe five to seven years away. Uh, I'll come back. Right. And then, uh, you know, COVID happens. Uh, the Fed bails everybody out. Uh, I wire a bunch of money over to Coinbase, buy my first crypto in like two years. And I start going back down the rabbit hole. And I'm like, oh man, like, they, they actually built stuff real fast, right? Like it only took two years. Like I, I you know, I started using Aave and I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is going to change the world. And, you know, I was like trying to catch up on everything I missed. Right. So I was listening to a podcast, going on Twitter, going on Telegram, catching up with uh, just trying to absorb as much information. And that was that was DeFi summer. Right. So that was like kind of my experience in, in going back down. And then I found NFTs in late August, early September. And the reason why they started making sense to me right away was because I started playing Fortnite on the first day of quarantine back in March, <laughs> you know? And you know, it sounds crazy, but like, you know, I start playing. Uh, I hadn't played a video game in like 10 years. I start playing with two of my buddies. One of them has a nephew uh, in Texas. We start playing. And the first thing this kid asked me, what skins did you buy? And I'm like, skins? Like, you know, they don't give me any special powers. I'm not buying any skins. Right. So, you know, fast forward two or three weeks. I'm buying a bunch of skins and I realize I'm like, wow, like that kid's 12 years old today. 10 years from now, he's going to be 22. He's going to have his own discretionary income and he's going to be totally okay with owning a purely digital asset. And I'm like, you know, at the time there's no publicly traded like metaverse plays or anything like Roblox isn't even public at that point. And I'm like, I just need to keep an eye out for it. Uh, and when I found NFTs, I was like, Oh man, like this is, this is your skin on Twitter. This is your skin on discord telegram, right? Like to me, it's like, this is a no brainer, right? Like this is, you know, the same way that you'll wear, uh, you know, a luxury watch or drive a nice car in the real world. This is kind of your way to, to show off a little bit in the digital world. And, and that really became my thesis. And I started going down the rabbit hole. It culminated in me buying, uh, my crypto punk, which is my avatar and writing a Twitter thread on it, uh, which went viral on crypto Twitter at the time. And, you know, I've just been an advocate for the space ever since. A lot of people that I meet and that uh, I typically host on Mint, they have a gaming background, whether it's like really like early or deep. For me personally, too, I remember playing Club Penguin, RuneScape and all these other random ass games growing up. And a lot of my understanding in Web3 when it comes to incentives, for example, come from the base of playing games from all these virtual worlds that I spent a lot of time in as a kid and for you specifically your understanding of nfts came from that as well specifically Fortnite. but what what do you think about like what do you think it is about gaming culture that has led a lot of us to kind of understand what's happening in crypto and has, and has become so attached to this medium so i mean i think it's interesting you say that because like i understood it from a gaming perspective because i was you know playing with digital assets but mm -hmm. i don't consider myself a gamer right like i right um, I, I played, ah, man, Warcraft 3 and Starcraft were like my like MMORPGs. Like I kind of stopped like after that and I, I would be playing a lot of sports games growing up. What I think helped me understand the space and I think where I had a real edge early on was I, I understood the value of these assets, not from a utilitarian perspective of like, oh, you know, this will be worth uh, this much because it's a value in the game. I understood it from like a social aspect, right? Where I felt like, especially at the time and still, right? There's there's so many smart people in crypto, but maybe not enough of them understand like, you know, there are guys that I've met and I'm sure you have too, that are bill worth billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that will walk around in like, you know, khaki, you know, yeah. shorts or, you know, whatever, like you would never guess, right? Very unassuming. And so I think that like that is more of an anomaly than maybe mainstream culture where people will wear name branded uh, things. Right. And I think I understood that aspect of the social psychology of how humans interact with each other in the real world 
And my thesis was that that wouldn't change just because we were by, behind screens, right? Like I would still want a way for me to signal to you that I was a person that you wanted to talk to, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so how do we do that in the real world? We wear nice clothes, we wear, uh, we drive nice cars, we wear nice watches. And that's why even sometimes you hear that uh, theme of uh, fake it till you make it, right? It's like, you know, in, you know, you want to, in order to win that big account, like, you know, you need to kind of act the part, you need to dress the part. And that's, you know, if you could, you can make your decision of whether you think that's good or bad overall for humanity. But I think that that's just naturally how animals interact with each other. I think you see it a lot in the animal kingdom, especially in mating culture and, mm -hmm. you know, anything where there's a social hierarchy where, you know, animals will put themselves on that hierarchy and every, every group has a different way of doing it. And humans, you know, one of the ways is, you know, status signaling. Right. And so uh, I understood it from that point of view. And I think that that's kind of what gave me my edge at the time, because I don't think anybody was thinking, I think now, obviously, you know, people are spending millions of dollars on a picture and we all get that. But at the time that I made the purchase and wrote that, that thread, I don't think that people, it was common, it was common thought. Right. You know, your, your brand is so distinct online. A lot of the projects that you've worked on from Adidas to uh, portraying all these different uh, NFTs during in Times Square, um, a lot of the things that you've kind of like taken lead on and that people know you for, um, it's, it's quite impressive, you know, and how you've built yourself online is also really interesting. It's one thing to have a, a tweet thread that goes viral. It's another thing to be consistent and to actually build uh, a brand online. I've seen crypto Twitter threads go viral all the time, but you've somehow managed to kind of like burst through the noise and consistently build a profile yourself, a profile for yourself. How have you managed to do that? Like what, what is your secret to brand building? Uh, because you also stay kind of like pseudo anonymous and in conferences, you're like speaking behind a box, which mm -hmm. I want to talk about more. Like how do you actually build that brand? Um, and sure, you could argue like early on, not a lot of people were talking about this. I had a unique voice. But still, to kind of be in the position that you're in is quite unique in the industry. How have you managed to do that? Um, I think one is, especially when I started the brand, uh, the brand, the G, like the G Money brand, right? It's, it's really being authentic to who I am, right? Like I always operated from the place of, I want people when they meet me in person to say, oh, G Money, he's exactly the person who I thought he would be, right? And one is, is being authentic to that person. And two is just speaking my truth, I guess, is, you know, uh, sharing my points of view, uh, the way that I see it, uh, and, you know, not just necessarily waiting for, for somebody else to, to kind of lead the way, but being like, okay, well, this is what I think makes sense to me. And so I'm going to try it, right? Like, I'm going to try it and, you know, maybe, hopefully it makes sense to other people in the same way. Uh, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, right? Like, I, I don't think anybody is going to be perfect, no matter what they mm -hmm. do. Uh, and no matter what industry they're in, but I think is like, I've been able to, I think, establish myself as somebody that's seeing a little bit ahead of the curve, at least, uh, and kind of helping bring people about, uh, not, not selling my brand short for, you know, a quick buck or whatever. Right. Uh, and like trying to operate from a space of integrity and, and do what not only I think is best for, uh, myself, but also for the industry. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and with that, I, I kind of briefly mentioned it. You sit in a, in a like small yet spacious cubicle when you get invited to speak at conferences, which I find so cool. It's actually one of the coolest things that I've seen and really on par with, with how you kind of represent yourself online to offline. What is that like? Because I know a lot of people have like stage fright when they, when they speak in front of an audience, but you have this cube in front of you and all people hear is your voice. Can you talk more about that? Um, yeah, so you know that was uh, we we did that at the at the MDCon, right? That was last last weekend, two weekends ago. Yeah, and uh, it was it's it's interesting. It, it's it's fun, right? It's like it's a little bit of playfulness. Um, you know, I think again, like especially early on, uh, like a year ago, I remember when the Beeple sale happened, and almost nobody knew like what an NFT was, especially in the finance world. I had the opportunity to talk to some mainstream press, but they were like, oh, well, you have to, you know, show your face and tell us your name. And I was like, well, nobody really cares what right. that person thinks about NFTs. People care what G Money, the crypto punk ape thinks about NFTs and what he has to say. 
And so, you know, to me, it, it really started making sense of like, well, like, let's take that one step further, right? Like, what I look like and what my name is doesn't matter, right? Like if we're, we're living in, you know, the 2020s and, you know, we're talking about equality and, and, you know, no, uh, no isms of any kind, like, you know, I guess pseudo identity is probably like, you know, or at pseudo not pseudo identity or even total anonymity is like that to the max, right? Is like you, people know what I, what I am like to interact with without having to know, who I am, what my name is, where mm -hmm. I live and all those things. And I have this reputation that if I ruin it, then people won't trust me within the space as G money. Right. And so I think like, that's really what I, the narrative I've been trying to push because you're the way we display ourselves and the names that we choose are very, very, very personal, right? Like the names that were given at birth are generally family names. And the way we look at generally, we like we the way we look in real life, we can we generally can't control, right? It's it's mm -hmm. a lot of it's genetics. But like if I want to display myself as a unicorn and I call myself unicorn lover fifty four, you would assume that I really like unicorns, and that's probably some port, important part of my personality. And that's way more personal than like being known by my my birth name and like using my picture of what I look like. So that to me was kind of really the the genesis behind it of really leaning into uh, the G money brand, because I think it's like, I think it's cool and important, especially uh, as we're living in this world, the way it currently is. Yeah. Okay. So with that NFTs and web three have become a world of escapism and expression, like we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain personality and a certain character to kind of gravitate towards this pseudo identity type of personality. I'm curious why you like, why did you personally gravitate towards that? So you just gave an entire argument as to why it's beneficial and, and why people do it. But why you have you always wanted to be seen as like a monkey, like if, based on <laughs> based uh, off your uh, argument? You uh, know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, what no. is it about you and your upbringing that has kind of like gravitated you towards this type of identity? Um, You know, so when I first bought the punk, right, it was like I I originally bought a crypto, a crypto punk zombie. Right. right. Uh, at the time, I paid twenty thousand dollars for it, and then I was looking for an ape, right? Because that's the next tier higher, and I thought I was priced out of the aliens. Like I thought the aliens would trade at like five hundred thousand plus, maybe a million dollars. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money to to spend on a JPEG, uh, <laughs> but you know, I I think I I can stretch for an ape, and I wanted to buy the rarest one, the the rarest asset that I could that I thought would be a signal, right? Because especially at that time. As you know, as you're as the NFT market was really in its infancy still, right? This, and I'm <laughs> I'm talking about like a fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, the people in the space that knew the most about NFTs generally had CryptoPunks as their avatar, right? So they either had zombies, they had apes. Uh, I don't think anybody had really come out and interacted as an alien up until that point. But it was mostly apes and zombies, and so I was like, okay, like that's like a signal, right? Like if I am a crypto punk, a elite tier crypto punk, you know, and, and if you take a look at crypto right now, right? It's like, you know, uh, Bitcoin was born in 2009, but if somebody tells you that they got into, into Bitcoin in 2012 or 2014, you're like, oh, you're OG. Like the, you know, it's like at this point, like the difference between each of those cycles, 2009, 2012, 2014 is minuscule, right? We all consider them OG in the space. So my thought was like, if you own a crypto punk, that's kind of like your way of signaling that you're mm -hmm. an OG member of the space. And it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to lean into like identity. It was more to kind of be like, yeah, this is my, you know, my, my medal, my trophy of showing that I am crypto native. I understand it. And like, you know, I'm an active member of the community and, and that's really kind of where it stemmed from. And it started growing on its own, right? And uh, because I don't really change my PFP uh, very often, if at all, uh, you know, like this ape with a beanie is, you know, kind of what I'm known for. Yeah. And with that, dude, you, you've built such a, an incredible network and community online. Uh, and I think that kind of brings us to why uh, part of the reason why you're here today with Admit One, which honestly, congratulations. It's become the hottest thing on crypto Twitter. People are FOMOing left and right so hard. 
Can you walk me through why, why create that? Like what were some of the initial problems that you were trying to solve? Yeah. So um, it really came, comes down to, I wanted to create a community uh, an incentivized tokenized community uh, to build and to kind of include in all the projects that I work on going forward and the collaborations. And I, I thought there was no better way to do this than uh, by, by doing it the way I did. Right. I wanted to, um, I wanted to get as much distribution as possible. Like I didn't necessarily want to have a small number of holders uh, that, you know, were, were hoarding uh, memberships. I wanted to get, to get it out to as many people as I could. And I also wanted to make it as fair as I possibly could be knowing that whatever, whatever it is that I did uh, would probably have a lot of FOMO involved with it regardless. So uh, to me, you know, we, we spent months, we spent months uh, trying to figure out the right way to distribute it, the right way to get it into people's hands. Uh, and ultimately we settled uh, on, a, on a free mint uh, for the people that were, have been my most loyal, my most loyal uh, followers to this day, right? And the way you've kind of like curated your most loyal followers is actually really unique. And I think it goes kind of unnoticed. And the reason I say that is because, Giovanni, you've been like incredibly strategic with the people that you've surrounded yourself with, uh, for the people that you've kind of recognized who have supported you. And you've done it through NFTs, which I think is a really unique concept. And this idea of building an on-chain CRM to later reward your most active participants is something that I think is not being done enough on an individual level. When you think about like networking and building a brand in Web2, you typically have platforms like HubSpot or Salesforce or these like personalized CRMs to kind of keep track of your contacts, of your network. And when you think about like, how can I do that in Web3, align incentives and reward people when the time is right, I think you've kind of perfected that. And I want to I want to give some recognition because when I read through the manifesto, you kind of noticed the first bullet point into talking about distribution is the first 11 people that have collected all three Bitcoin Miami NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. And you kind of airdrop them, uh, the, the, I guess, the first initial admit one Genesis passes, which, first of all, really, really, really cool way of kind of distributing and curating and kind of selecting and rewarding some of your most active contributors. But why do you think NFTs are kind of like that primitive to do that? Right. Because you, you took it because some people use it as a form of identity, right? In a form of expression, like you do with your punk. You use it as a form of of like networking, of, of like building some type of CRM and tracking your most loyal followers. Right. I'd love for you to talk more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about NFTs, I think, is as it goes forward, right, is like here we are in you know the year 2022. We now have, you know, all the FANG stocks that uh, and privacy issues with regards to our data and how it gets used and how we're targeted and how, you know, if you're if you don't know what the product is, you are the product. Right. And 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 that's kind of the world we live in right now. And I think the beautiful thing about NFTs and and kind and having access to people's wallets is because they're public. Right. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can. I can have some sort of idea. And again, we're still really early. So this, this data will only get better as time goes on, right? Of what is the, this wallet owner, what, you know, what do they like? What do they dislike? Right. What, you know, what pull-ups uh, have they collected? Because that tells you what events they've been to, right? What NFTs do they have in that wallet? That tells you the type of artwork that they like, the type of communities that want to be part of. And again, we're really, really early on. And I think, you know, five, 10 years from now, this data will be, super, super valuable uh, to the, the people and the companies that can analyze that data and then be like, oh, you know, how we can target this wallet owner with stuff without having to know their age, their sex, their occupation, um, you know, all these things that are super invasive, where, where they live, what, you know, what they, what they do, uh, where they, where they're going to be in five hours, right? right. Things that, you know, uh, are web 2.0 uh, privacy things. Uh, we can get rid of that, but still get, you know, a lot of that important data. Right. So to me, uh, when I, I and I knew it like from early on, I think somebody re, re quoted a tweet where I did say in that initial three day uh, event that there will be a reward for this down the road. Right. Like there will be a reason to collect all three. And there were 11 people that collected all three. And like I'm forever, and I'm forever grateful for them. Right. Because like. I never once asked them to open up their wallet to, you know, to pay for something. It literally was just take five minutes out of your day. I, I chose strategic points, maybe like a, a two blocks away from the actual convention in Miami uh, that year. 
And it was like, if you were willing to take five minutes out of your day, and this is back when, you know, I, I'm, I don't even know how many followers I had at that point, but I was just like, all right, like this is an experiment, right? Because I, I very much felt, and I still do feel, we have the biggest brands that will come into the space in the future, but they're going to need people that are crypto native figuring out the, the roadmap, right? So how, how to get there, how to engage with your community. Kim Kardashian comes into the space tomorrow she can't fail, right? Like she, you know, she's going to have the feeling that she can't fail. Like right. obviously everybody can, but she's going to be like, well, we have to execute this. Who's done it right? And I wanted to be like providing some sort of roadmap of like, well, you can do this and then you can sit on it for a year and then yeah. you could, then you could sit there and, and give it out to people, right? When they least expect it. And that, that really was uh, something that I think is, is currently underutilized. I'm hoping that uh, going forward, people see what what I I did. You know, going to conferences, giving people po ops, never telling people what was going to happen with those po ops, but knowing fully well in my head exactly what my ultimate game plan was with it. Right? Yeah, yeah. What's up, guys? Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to recognize a couple of our NFT sponsors who are helping make this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Mint Songs. First up, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have MintSongs, who is home to over 1,200 music artists in Web3. Check out the MintSongs marketplace to support collect and connect with artists creating web3 communities around their music via nfts in june 2022 about next month mint songs will be launching their much anticipated v2 marketplace on ethereum which aims to make web3 even more accessible to music artists follow along on twitter at mint songs or check out mintsongs.com to learn more all right back to the episode so if you took that five minutes out of your day to to listen to G Money to collect those things, you'd have something valued well over ten ETH in your wallet right now uh, because of that support. So it's it's really really incredible to see, you know. And if if you really like, you pay close attention, G Money, to the way you kind of like constructed the drop and to how you designed it and the, the the level of curation, it's very reminiscent of that of punks, which is obviously your entire identity, right? Specifically the whole no roadmap and also the zero mint at, at launch, right? Mm -hmm. Punks were inherently uh, free to collect, right? Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, they had no specific roadmap. It was just like a collectible, you know, in the, in the first one, the OG, 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 the creme de la creme, as you like to call it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that? Am I, am I seeing the connections correctly or was there a different kind of reason as to why you designed it this way? Uh, well, I decided to go free because one was definitely a... Uh, a way to pay homage to CryptoPunks. I think they are the most significant NFT project that exists, right? I think mm -hmm. a lot of what we're seeing in the space, the 10,000 PFPs, it stems from CryptoPunks, right? Like that, they are the OG PFP project. We are here today, uh, a large part because of the work done by Larva Labs. Uh, and, you know, also like, I, you know, I know I, I probably could have sold the NFT for one, two ETH, and I definitely would have had a ton of demand for it. But what I really wanted to do was uh, kind of provide support to the people that supported me, you know, to show them that they're my day ones, that we're going to be in this together. And to also kind of like build a, a great community that's incentivized to also add value to it themselves. Right. Like I think one of the coolest things that I've been experiencing over the last few days was how 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 much more active the discord is than I thought it would be and how people are sharing ideas. You know, what, one of my favorite stories from that Bitcoin Miami event was uh, two people met up at, at one of those days. They ended that ended up that meeting of those two people because they went to go collect my NFT. Uh, it was the formation of a hedge fund that they started together uh, or a VC fund that they started together. And they ended up starting a DAO together. Wow. And, you know, to me that that's like, you know, those were that that meeting, there was maybe five people hanging out that day, right? Mm -hmm. Five people like part of, you know, following G Money that went, became friends and did some really cool stuff together. What what happens from a community of a thousand people, right? That like agree with like the G Money ethos and the things that I wanna, you know, push for, which is disruption 
and adoption, right? And if we have a thousand like-minded people, what does that mean, right? How does that create more of a fire for the space uh, to, to help meet those goals? So to me, yeah. it's just, you know, that that's really like a lot of it, right? It's like, I have my plans of, of what I have planned and I know I'm working on things in the pipeline, uh, but, you know, for me, the upside surprise has been, you know, people in the Discord, like, you know, I, I think somebody started a, a thread on like an introduction thread today. And, you know, just reading some of these introductions, like, wow, we have like some really smart, high quality people in the community uh, outside of just the curated list, right? Outside of the, the people that I wanted to make sure came into the community, um, you know, and it makes me really excited with like what's, what's possible. How many people have collected your po-ops to date? Do you have a number on that? Um, so, yeah, so the number can range anywhere from like five, you know, there was 1,300, around 1,300 that were included on this list. I had to take out the uh, POAPs from when I was uh, doing my podcast live for fear of some of them got botted and I right. couldn't tell which ones were the botted ones. So uh, in, in order to, to get fair distribution and not have the project botted, I think there's probably in total, I think about somewhere between five and 7,000 POAPs out there. But because of botting issues, I had to really uh, yeah. limit that number to people that almost had like proof of human, right? In the sense that I, I had to have most likely met them in person uh, or they had to have been at an event where you almost you had to kind of show up as a human. Yeah. So with that, you, you curated and created this 1,000 person group, uh, this 1,000 member group. Yet there's so many people who kind of like love, uh, respect you, have been a part of your journey uh, at certain touch points, how do you think about like the concept of inclusion, right? In, in a place where let's say a lot of contributors maybe didn't make the mint or they tried to claim their spot, but it was sold out too quickly, too quickly. Like, cause the FOMO on crypto Twitter is like incredibly high. Like it's real. Like I've seen it. People are freaking out. <laughs> how do you think about like building out and growing the community in a sustainable way without diluting the current quality of what, of what was kind of curated, uh, at the get-go? Um, it's definitely something uh, I've been thinking about, especially from the start. Uh, and it's something that I think about uh, constantly is like, how do you grow the community without that dilution? Mm -hmm. I don't think I necessarily have an answer. Uh, I think one of the, the fortunate things is I think that there are other communities out there that are already bigger than mine that are also facing the same problem that are further along process and progress. And we've seen a lot of examples of that already of how communities have grown. And I have the opportunity to kind of sit back and, and watch and learn. I don't need to build build everything out. And I don't need to have that answer from day one. Mm -hmm. It's definitely something I think about, right? Because, you know, even you take a look at like a 10,000 PFP project, right? Like, okay, that could be big enough now for, you know, uh, May 2022 uh, for a community, right? But like, what does May 2032 look like? You right. know, for a 10,000 PFP project, is going to be small, right? That will be minuscule uh, on on the on the grand scale of community. So, I I don't have the answers. I know I don't, but I'm I've been having these conversations, and this has been something I've been actively thinking about. Of like, how does the community grow long term? I have a couple of ideas of how I I plan on doing it, but nothing set in stone. Yeah, another interesting kind of touch point that I realized with Admit One is that you. You could have launched it at the high of a bull market, right? And really capitalize on the opportunity, but you strategically decided to launch it during the bear market. Why is that, number one? And two, why what is it about bear markets that you think brings out like the most of people? Because I because I and I, I only asked that because I was a part of the 2018 bear market and mm -hmm. also crypto winter. And the best projects kind of came out of that that we kind of use, love, and adore today, right? Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts around that? Uh, yeah, so one of the reasons I didn't want to do it in, in a bull market for sure was I didn't want it to get hyped up, right? Like I, I wanted the no hype. Like I specifically launched it. It was pretty much a stealth launch. Uh, it was one tweet. The first, you know, the first retweets and replies, people were like, is this, you know, did you get hacked? And, you know, it was me going out to people uh, that were on that curated list early and, you know, saying, Hey, like, can you, you know, please, you know, here's your, here's your link <clears throat> to mint. And I really wanted the, the non-hype. I wanted the anti-hype, you know, which is 
when you think about it, like when you look at NFT projects, usually they they try to build up the hype, right? They go on, uh, let's call it the quote unquote press tour uh, beforehand, right? So that people have their eyes on it. I wanted to distribute it out to the community. I wanted people to really uh, kind of come in and if they want to hold it or sell it or whatever, you, you know, you have to kind of believe a little bit about me, right? Like you have to understand a little bit about who I am, what I stand for, what I want to do and where, you know, what I've done and where I want to go. And so that was kind of the reason I, I wanted to wait for a bear market because I, I wanted to have the anti-hype. Uh, and I guess with regards to building, right, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that in a bear market, people aren't as focused on price, right? People aren't, uh, you know, it's not like every single time you open up your portfolio, uh, you know, you go up uh, five, 10% in net worth, right? So you don't, I feel like a lot of times, and this is coming from somebody that, you know, traded equity markets for 15 plus years that, you know, when you're making money, you're very like unproductive, right? Because you're sitting mm -hmm. there and you're thinking about, oh man, like I just made so much money and you can't sit there and be your most productive. But when you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, like I have to figure out how I'm going to make money. I have to figure out how, you know, those bills get paid long-term. Um, I have to get to work and I have to grind and I have to, you know, do the right thing, right? You know, uh, it's it's funny, like I very much live in in the uh, the idea of just do the next right thing and, you know, the, the universe will take care of everything else, right? When I, when I try to plan for certain results, I usually never get the results that I want. But when I focus on making sure that, you know, and it's the same thing with practice, right? Like if you play a sport, you know, you focus on the mechanics, right? You know, you focus on the swing so that, you know, eventually you hit the home run. But if you sit, if you go up to the plate trying to hit a home run every time you're at bat and your focus is hitting that home run, you're probably not going to do it, right? Like you want to go yeah. through the motions. Yeah. And with that kind of explains the no roadmap perspective uh, that you kind of like kind of set as the foundation for admit one, you know, be, beyond admit one, where else is your energy focused in the bear market? Um, you know, admit one is the gateway for a lot of the things that I'm working on. I've been, I've, I've had a lot of really good conversations over the last few months with a lot of good and awesome potential partners. And you know, the things I, I'm just really excited about what I think is coming down the road. And I don't want to give too much away, but I just I, I, I'm excited. Right. And uh, yeah, I guess we could just leave it at that. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I'll be keeping my eye out. Also, if if people have been following, uh, I guess, like your story and your timeline throughout Instagram, Twitter, they know that you're really big uh, in fashion or at least with fashion on fashion, the concept of kind of whether it be meta wear or, or physical fashion, how did your love for fashion kind of develop? Because you tell me you've been an equities trader for 15 plus years, and now you're trading JPEGs. And while there is a level of like social signaling that comes with fashion to an extent, I'm curious, where did that kind of like excitement, that love for the fashion industry stem from? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've been thinking about that a lot as well. Um, and I, I mean, when I was younger, I remember in high school, like I would always like kind of like draw like logos and, and stuff of like, just like stuff that I was like interested in. I'm like, oh, that would be pretty cool to like make a t-shirt or whatever. And, you know, I think uh, my, my, my finance brain like really took over for a lot of uh, my mm. life. And, uh, I have always, I think, I think I kind of have always had a good idea of understanding the general consumer. Um, you know, when I remember I was going into my senior year of college, I was interning in New York City that summer. And I remember I was on the subway and I was looking around the subway and this is back in 2003. And I noticed that there's a bunch of white people with white headphones in their ears. And this is back when the MP3 market was massively fragmented. Everybody had an MP3 player, but Apple was the only one that had the white headphones. And I remember looking and I'm like, oh, wow, like, you know, there's something here. And I bought Apple, I bought Apple calls. Apple was trading $10 at the time. Uh, I bought the $20 calls for 62 cents a share each, which I then sold at $49 a share each within uh, 18 months or so. Wow. Uh, and that was up until last year, like the best trade of my career. Uh, and I had a couple other trades like that. You know, there was, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, there was this brand called True Religion Brand Jeans uh, a few years yeah. later that was really, really popular, but it was a publicly traded stock. Uh, and I remember buying it at around four or $5. Uh, 
uh, it eventually ended up getting mm. bought out by either uh, by either VF Corp or Phillips uh, Phillips Van Houston uh, for around $25, $27. But I remember, you know, just riding that wave of just, I, I got long it because the most fashionable people I knew in New York City were wearing it, right? It was, that was like the thesis, right? It was as simple as that. And so I think I've always been a very um, observant person when it comes to, to trends. You know, I think fashion is a very uh, individual type of uh, experience, right? Like everybody has their fashion, even if they aren't quote unquote fashionable, right? Like people just, you have your look. And I think it's a very personal thing. And I think it translates over well to this, uh, this, this, um, this culture of JPEGs, right? Where, you know, each JPEG like is similar, but they're all personal in their own way. So I, I think I see a lot of, I see a lot of cross sections and opportunities there. So with, with that being said, like, where do you see the world of Web3 and fashion colliding? And I know you have thoughts on this. Like, you're so excited about this. So I, I had to bring it up. Where, where do you see those two worlds colliding? Um, I think there's, you know, plenty of places that it collides. You know, I think obviously in the digital realm, um, sure. you know, I think Artifact has been doing a great job. I think, you know, Nike and Adidas coming into the space uh, to me was like super important in that it signals to everybody uh, that you have to take a look at this NFT market, uh, the metaverse, right? Uh, and I also think, you know, you take a look at games like Fortnite, right? And it's a freemium model. It's free to play, right? You can, and a lot of their revenue generation comes from, you know, selling digital fashion. You know, people, uh, kids will will play that game. And I'm astounded by, you know, the, the, the wardrobe changes that happen, right? You know, kids change what they look like. They change their skin every game. So that means imagine, you know, you're at a restaurant and every 15 to 20 minutes, you go into the bathroom, change your clothes and come back out. Like that's how quickly, uh, you know, skins yeah. are being changed. Right. And, and, you know, still within the same session. So it's not even like you have one specific look for, you know, one specific, uh, for one entire sitting. So, you know, I think that it, it is a very interesting space. I think that it is, it's going to be a massive space. And I, I'm really excited to see what what everybody is doing with it. So beyond Adidas, beyond the analogy to Fortnite, um, how do you think like the biggest fashion brands are preparing for this like Web3 revolution? Like what, what does that look like? Do you have any insight on that? Um, I, I think that they're all very interested. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I think also think that a lot of them are they, you know, they have to move slowly, right? Because they have to sit down and they have, you know, they have these brands that they have to protect, you know, they can't just jump right in uh, the way a crypto native uh, can jump right in. So I think it's super interesting. I, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of cool stuff in the future, but I, I also think it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. So I also want to talk to you about like big current events because you're so big on the forefront of adoption and education. Um, this whole, I guess, news of GameStop creating a wallet for crypto NFTs is, do people think it's like as big as, as it seems? Because I, I only asked that because when Coinbase NFT came out, there was a lot of, I guess, hype around that, like, oh, that's going to change the market. Retail is going to be buying everybody's bags, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that, is it, is it as big as it seems basically? Like, do you think that news is going to dent the, the the world of crypto. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm probably not the right person to ask. Personally, okay. uh, I I agree with you, right? Like, you know, Coinbase NFT launched, and we're still, you know, we're they're still in beta or alpha. They're they're still right. not. They don't have a fully shipped product, and I think it'll take time, right? But when I take a look at the landscape, you know, ten years from now, I think it's going to be very very different than where it is today, right? In the same way. You can use the dot-com bubble as your as same analogy, right? In, in 2017, I think Lycos was the number one search engine in the world, right? Five, six years later, it didn't exist. So, you know, I, I think just because we have uh, certain incumbents in the space right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how things are going to play out. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch, uh, and I'm really excited for it, but yeah. I'm in no way declaring any winners or losers just yet. Yeah, and just to kind of iterate, I, I think my whole comment on coinbase uh nft is is actually really net positive for the space the more innovation the more collaboration the better 
Uh, mm-hmm. I'm super excited to see what they kind of come out with. I only wanted to ask you because like the Adidas drop was such a vibrant signal in the ecosystem and that made so much noise. Uh, mm-hmm. And like you said, like bringing those types of those types of companies into the space really woke up or at least I feel like woke up a lot of the minds and the attention of everybody else kind of like watching externally when they hear NFTs, they laugh at it or when they hear like digital fashion, they laugh at it. Right. But seeing one of these prominent players come in, I don't know. I was kind of like thinking about the comparison between the two, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think Adidas and Nike coming into the space uh, at pretty much the same time. I think they they both officially came into the space within like 48 hours of each other. Yeah. Um, was probably the best signal that crypto could have, I think, in the last like decade, right? Because it's like to me, I up until that point, I think Facebook rebranding to Meta was like, oh, well, they're a tech company, right? Mm-hmm. They have to focus on the next thing. But I think when you hear two of the most culturally relevant brands on the planet coming into the space, I think every other consumer facing brand needs to be like, whoa, like what is our NFT and metaverse strategy? Because Nike and Adidas are both there. We need to think of something at least. And I think we started to see that that scramble, right? Like I think a couple a couple other companies have released other projects, some of them maybe uh, better or worse than others. But I also think we're probably in that quiet period, that lull where uh, I think a lot of businesses are learning about NFTs and really digging down and taking their time to make sure that they make the right decision. But I think ultimately, like, we're we're going to, I think this cycle, uh, you know, we're probably going to be reaching that point where uh, in the investment world, it starts becoming career risk to not buy Bitcoin, whereas last cycle, it was career risk to buy Bitcoin. I think at some point in the near future, it becomes, it becomes career risk to not have an NFT strategy as opposed to having one. Yeah. One thing I want to, I also want to talk to you about is uh, your whole, like, your, your perspective on angel investing. You're actually really, really active uh, and you're an active angel investor. Um, how many startups have you invested in to date, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, I don't have the exact number. I think at this point it might be over 100, but it's wow. probably around there. Yeah, that's wild. Like, how do you kind of determine which projects you're you're going to cut a check for? Like, what does that look like? Um, it really comes down to, uh, you know, do I believe in the vision? And like, do I think I can help? Right. It's like, those are probably two of my, my biggest, like, do I think they can execute? Right. Cause the vision is one thing, but do I think they can execute on it? And how much help do I think I can add? Uh, and whether I even have the time to do it. Right. Because obviously I'm doing my own things. Uh, you know, I have a hundred companies in the portfolio. So like, I'm, I'm always helping and connecting and, and, you know, seeing what I can do and, and help them get to the next point that they need to get to in their, in their business. Uh, and that really is kind of the bulk of what comes down to it. You know, I, I'd say over the last few months, I've probably slowed down a lot, just one, because of the market. But then two is, it, it's very funny, about a year ago, uh, I was talking to uh, a founder and he told me, he goes, you know, you're going you're gonna to stop angel investing at some point, I bet. And I was like, are you crazy? I'm like, part of the reason I started you know, G Money was so I can get into better deal flow, right? Like, you know, I wanted to be seen as that forward thinker so that people wanted to bring me on a cap table because they're like, okay, like he might've been wrong in crypto punks, but at least I know how he, I, at least I know he's forward thinking. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a person I want as a partner. And so uh, now I'm, I'm at that point right now where a lot of it becomes opportunity costs of, you know, do I build out what I wanna build um, and the vision that I see or, you know, do I help people on their vision? Uh, I'm not going to say no to, to every, you know, to deals that come across my table that I think are great, that I think I can help and, and integrate especially. Uh, but I've definitely slowed down on, on that side of the business. Yeah. I, I learned so much about you in this conversation. It's really interesting to hear one of like the OG's perspective that kind of gave you and continues to give you your edge in the space. Um, so I want to thank you for being on and being a part of season five. Before I let you go, Jimani, where can we learn more about Admit One? Where can we find you and everything that you're working on? Yeah, so you can, uh, the easiest way is uh, on Twitter, Gmoney NFT. Uh, also the Admit One Twitter page is Admit 0001. That's three zeros and a one. And, uh, you know, G.Money is, is the website that you can go to. And, uh, you know, you can also check out the marketplace there, right? So you can, 
uh, make sure you get the the actual real collections on there and don't need to worry about scam accounts uh, for all like G money related stuff. Yeah, which actually I forgot to bring up because you you built an entire marketplace uh, on your site itself, which was something unique that I haven't come across many other projects. Uh, really quick, actually, before I let you go, what was the intention behind kind of creating a, a centralizing the marketplace on your side in addition to everything that's happening on OpenSea and LooksRare, yeah. et cetera? Yeah, so you know that was done with the help of the team at Reservoir, which is yeah. basically like an open marketplace protocol, and you know they were really awesome guys to work with, and they worked very quickly, and I really highly recommend working with them. But yeah, to me, it's you know when you take a look at you know curation and marketplaces and the buying experience right now, you know people don't generally buy all their things at like a superstore or a super site. People will go to highly curated experiences for uh, the looks they want, right? Like when you go to a department store, you generally go because it saves you time, right? And that's in the real world, right? There is a certain look that you will get from a certain department store or boutique where you could definitely go to each of those designers' personal stores uh, and go there and, and do all that work yourself. But the reason why you go to a curated place is because it saves you time and it's much more convenient, right? And when you take a look at um, the Web2 shopping experience, that happens as well, right? Like, you know, we don't all buy all of our things on Amazon or on eBay. We go there for certain products, but not for all products. And so I think over time, the space evolves to highly curated marketplaces where, you know, if I want to focus uh, just on PFP projects, there will probably be a site where that happens. If I want to focus just on digital fashion, there's a site where that happens. And I think there'll be a lot of these, you know, gaming, mm. earn gaming. I think there'll be a lot of these verticalized uh, silos where people will go just like there is right now in Web2, right? Like you don't buy everything from one site. And I don't think Web3 is going to be any different. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, my friend, I also want to shout out your podcast because it's actually produced exceptionally well. So everybody that's listening, I'll include in the show notes. Um, and I also realized you just did a rebrand from the, the G money or the cutting edge show to now the admit one show. So I'm excited to see what you kind of push out on the content side. Uh, G money. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. I appreciate it. You got it. Congratulations on making it this far into the episode. You are a champ. And because of that, I want to say thank you by giving you a free participation NFT. You can claim yours today by visiting adamlevy.io forward slash NFT. Follow the steps on your screen. You'll be good to go. Also, depending on which platform you're listening on, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, favorite, etc. It really helps grow the platform and our reach online. And last but not least, I want to give some love and recognize one of our NFT sponsors who's helping make this episode a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3.